LSG Media presents a Game of Thrones podcast. Welcome to the Game of Thrones podcast by LSG Media. I'm Dean. I'm joined by Jessica, and we are covering the sixth episode of the sixth season titled Blood of My Blood. Jessica. It's Memorial Day. We have the day off. We're rested. We're going early. We're recording early. And I'm looking forward to this. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Um, Although for well-rested people, we were out and about pretty much all day today. But, you know. Well, what are you going to do? It's fine. It's not like we were doing work. We're just driving to various places and eating and drinking things. That's actually exactly what we did all day. Bought things, ate things, drank things. That's what you're supposed to do. And watch Game of Thrones for a second time this morning. Yes, we did do that as well. Obviously. So Game of Thrones is ramping up. It's getting moving. Uh, A lot of people would say that this is a bit of a pulling the reins up on the old horsey. Whoa, horsey. Whoa, horsey. Let's chill for a minute while we gather ourselves for the final four episodes. Uh, What were your initial impressions of this episode? I know that people thought it was boring. And I mean, compared to the other episodes we've been having, it slowed down a little, but I didn't dislike the episode at all. I thought there was a lot of big stuff that happened. Some some really big stuff. The stuff with Bran and the stuff with Arya, I thought we were really big catalysts for what is going to happen going forward. We saw Walter Frey again. Mm. Now we know that there's going to be this epic battle coming. I mean, I feel like a lot happened. I understand it was a lot of setup for what's going to happen next, but I wasn't bored when I was watching the episode. I just wasn't. I wasn't either. I actually enjoyed this episode. I did feel like I was waiting for something to happen that never did. And I guess that's more of King's Landing, but we'll get to that. I was waiting for somebody on my Deadpool to die. And guess what? Nobody did. Yeah, no Deadpool update. But I still feel confident that now I'm definitely going to lose both of the Tyrells and Lancel because I'm pretty sure Marjorie's death is imminent at this point. Right. In the chat saying that, yeah, they're, they're, they like the breather because nobody died. So they didn't have to deal with the trauma of that. And might I remind those of you listening to the podcast version of this that we are recording this live on Mixler, mixler.com slash LSG dash media. That's mixler.com slash LSG dash media. We uh, try to record we do record live every week if you want the schedule go to schedule.liberystreetgeek.net that's schedule.liberystreetgeek.net and you will find our schedule for all live recordings and all podcast releases uh, Mixler is really cool we get a bunch of our listeners that hop in here and uh, they chat and uh, they correct us when we fuck up as we're bound to do Often. Uh, with all the names and places and, and shit that happens in this great epic we are bound to make a slip up now and again and they uh, keep us on point and uh, I'm happy to have them. They make the show a lot better, and they're pretty goddamn cool. So if you're a little, if you're a little nervous, you know it's your first time, and you're kind of concerned, and you're worried it's it's going to be painful, and you're like, oh, I don't know, should I drink? Well, you can if you want to, but if you come in here, I can assure you that these people will be gentle lovers to you, and they will they will That's make everything part. go everything will go smooth as butter. So. Wow. Mixler.com slash LSG-media. Yeah, I don't know. I um, I definitely liked the episode. I enjoyed it. I just like the season. Uh, we're six episodes done, and I feel like, Jesus Christ, things are moving quickly. And I feel like it's a, a boiling, it's popcorn popping away, and it's just going to overflow any second, and a lot of different things are going to happen. It's going to stop popping off, yo. But uh, I like it. I think it's fun. 
and uh, there's some some cool stuff. I like introducing new places. I like visiting old places. I am uh, a fan of Benjamin Stark's return as a half white uh, walker. I don't know what the fuck he is. Crazy shit going on with him. That's a that's a, a first. Something unique to the show that we've never witnessed before. And uh, spoiling the book for book readers. Yeah. Well, if the book readers watch this episode, then they've already been spoiled. So we're not spoiling it. No, but that's what I'm saying. This episode does. I think that that's interesting now that we're at the point where we're spoiling the book. Yeah. Unless the book goes a totally different direction. But um, on the after show, uh, Benioff and Weiss did confirm that Benjamin Stark is Cold Hands or whatever the heck his name is. That's what they called him, Cold Hands. Yeah. Except he wrote a moose or some shit. Yeah. I know. I Googled the pictures and I'm a little disappointed that he was not riding a moose because that would have been amazing. Mm -hmm. I wish I could ride a moose. I wish I could pet a moose. I wish I could just see one in a distance and it would be beautiful. Mm. But so I just got a horse. Yeah. I mean, I saw a hundred horses with the Dothraki. You did. There's plenty of horses out there. But it was cool to see him again. And uh, a lot of old faces, Walder Frey, you know, we're kind of reaching back. uh, Brendan the Blackfish. You Brendan didn't see Tully. Him, but he's coming. Edmure Tully, we saw though. Yep. We cool. saw, I think we saw him in the coming soon. Edmure Tully, not looking too good. Marriage is not working for him. So, <laughs> nope. He hasn't had a haircut in days. He hasn't showered. Like, at least Theon got a bath occasionally. All right. So, if you've never joined us before, if this is the first time you join us, this is what we do. We bullshit up front. We give some initial impressions. Then we're going to get into the scenes. We're going to explicate our way through it. We don't go sequentially like the episode does. We just take where they are and we talk about it. Where they are and we talk about it. Where they are and we talk about it. So the character and the location. And we go one at a time through each one. It's our little tour that we do every episode. And uh, then we get into some listener comments. And then we update our Deadpool. But there is no update this week. Nobody died. And then we wrap with some final thoughts. And sometimes we hang out in the chat afterwards and we live talk. Obviously, that does not go onto the podcast. But sometimes there's some extra content that you won't get if you're just listening to the podcast. So, Jessica. Dean. In the tradition of the Game of Thrones podcast by LSG Media, why don't you tell us what our itinerary is today and where we're going to be traveling? We shall begin north of the wall and discuss what's going on with Bran just as our episode opens. Excellent. And then where will... I hear... I hear that you have to dress warm there. So I packed some extra cloaks and idea. small clothes. Okay, then where small do we go? Small clothes, okay. Yes. You're going to then move on to Hornhill. Ooh, so we're going far south. Yep, you're okay. going there you need to wear your sister's dress. I need so to wear I my sister's dress. Those. Excellent. I probably should wear my earmuffs too, since my dad's going to call me a big fat pussy all day. Yep, and okay. you don't want to eat any bread. No right. gluten and for then you, where? sir. After we leave Horn Hill, we're going to move right along to King's Landing. Ooh, excellent. And the twins Should I will bring be some extra shoes for those dirty hippies that took it over? You could, or you could just Flip let flops. them suffer. Uh, they're not, they seem to be doing just fine. Extra set of small clothes for Mace Tyrell and perhaps a cowardly lion outfit for him? Perhaps, perhaps. Okay, fair enough. And then where will this we will go? This will segue into the twins, of course. Um, so we will discuss that as well. Mr. Red Wedding himself. Walter Frey. Right. Filch, she has returned. And then where? Uh, I when I go when we go to the twins, I'll make sure to pack my incompetent sons and bring them along. Seems reasonable. <laughs> Those um, guys are the worst. They suck so bad. Once you're done with them, you can cross the sea, the Black Sea, on your wooden horse. Did you say the Black Sea? Uh, it's the yeah, Narrow Sea, but I appreciate you can cross your the Narrow Sea on your wooden horses and go to Bravos. Okay, I will. Okay. And then 
I'll just meander over to where Danny is. Yeah, and then after that, you can go chill to wherever she's going. I don't know. She's just in the middle of somewhere with some horses and some dragons and some Dothraki. That's what she's got going on. Outstanding. Well, then let's get cracking. North of the wall we go to visit our good friend Bran, where he recently left off. Who may have murdered Hodor. Who may have murdered Hodor. Still a little up in the air, so we don't know how good of a friend he actually is. (laughs) He may have murdered Hodor unwittingly, having him hold the door on the orders of Mira Green. Mira? Her name is... Why don't I get her name right every week? I say her name Mar- is Mira Reed. Reed. First of all, good you Lord. call her Green all the time. I Jojen don't understand Green. why. No, Jojen's last name is also <laughs> I Reed. Know, but I know, because they are siblings. <laughs> what is wrong with you? And Jojen is dead. His name doesn't matter anymore. Uh, what is dead may never die. What is dead may never die. Sorry about that, Mister Reed. Not Green. Yeah. Well, he had the green sight, so give me a break. Don't, well, I guess. Yeah, he sure did. He sure did. All right. So, um, before we get into it, okay. Before we get into it, what do we have? Shall we discuss our email in regards to Hodor and power? And- yeah. Well, we received a great email. This is going to be a little bit out of order. I already just told you guys how we do listener comments, but we're lying already. We're breaking form in this the interest a, of entertainment. This is a listener comment in regards to more of last week's episode. Yep, and some overarching themes for Game of Thrones in general. First, can we please credit the emailer in question? Yes, her name is Kimberly. Last name? Robinson. So Kimberly Robinson. Mrs. Robinson. What's her name? Mrs. Robinson, are you trying to seduce me? All right, so <laughs> why don't you um, why don't you start off by touching upon... Now, the email was long. It, it printed to two pages plus a couple of sentences on a third page, and it was excellent. And I have yet to address it because it came after the Hodor episode, after we recorded last week's podcast. And there were some really good themes just overall about what's going on and some of the theories that she's putting forth regarding what's going on. Um, so yeah, can you read Kimberly Green's uh, comment? I'm not gonna read the whole thing. As it's Dean not said, Kimberly it's... Green. You didn't even catch that. I mean, no, someone already made that joke I in the chat, know. and I moved on from it because they were they got it. Before David you. Earl made the joke in the chat, I and I hope <laughs> David Green, David Earl Green. <laughs> is that David Earl Green? Earl Gray, Earl Green. Which one? <laughs> David Earl Green, Pittsburgh Penguins. Is that his name? All right, can you um, can you talk to me a little bit about this email and do see if we can discuss it a bit? Do you want me to read the whole thing, or do you want me to start partway? I down? trust your opinion on this. So I'm going to skip um, some of it. Uh, she says, to me, the crux of the matter is this. If Hodor sacrificed himself on purpose, despite knowing that his whole life was leading up to this horrible death, what you have is a Christ story. So she talks about Hodor as a Christ-like figure because he's a decent person. He's genuinely pure. Then she continues to talk about Hodor's sacrifice and that she doesn't believe it was a willing sacrifice, whether Bran had worked into him or not. And she starts talking about class and power in um, George R. R. Martin's work. Um, she says, Martin also deals with themes of class, power, and what makes for just leadership. He's n- also not afraid to kill innocent characters, as we all know. So I think the answer to what was really going on with Hodor at the end is suggested in this and previous episodes. Previously, you have Tyrion boasting to the masters that Westeros doesn't have slavery, and he says it completely without irony. But then, juxtaposed to that, you have old Nan in the past chastising Willis and the Stark children for thinking that Willis could be a warrior. No, Willis is only a stable boy. Willis can never be more than the position he was born into. So in what way does Westeros not have slavery exactly? Functionally, their feudal system is about as bad as slavery. All right. So can I jump in there? Yes. So a couple things that people might not realize. I believe old Nan is Willis's grandmother. I'm pretty sure that's that's the truth. Can somebody confirm that in the chat? I'm pretty sure that that is the truth. Um, there's a lot of extrapolation going on here and a lot of theorizing that is... Mm, 
it's I like it. I like where a lot of this is coming from. Um, I think that I think it's a slippery slope when you call feudalism slavery outright, but I do think that they're goddamn close because you are essentially if you are some sort of landed servant, you can't really leave. Like you could leave. You could say, All right, pick up my shit, put my stuff on my mule and leave. But anywhere you go, unless you take your chances in the wild, is going to be owned by some other lord who claims sovereignty over the territory you're in, and therefore you are what you are. Now, there, I like the idea of class. I think that's something that's very obvious in this show. You have nobles, and then you have the, the small folk, or the lowborn, as they're called. You have people who are essentially they will be what they will be because of where they were born and then people who will not. But at times we see that that is actually challenged and it can sometimes be a thorn in the side of the establishment, quote unquote, in the story. For example, Tyrion Lannister, a bastard that they want to be dead, right? He's not actually a bastard though. No, he's somebody that they want dead. Mm -hmm. Tywin wants him dead, doesn't care about him, doesn't want Casterly Rock to fall to him wants it to fall to Jamie. So even though he's noble born, he's still treated as as lesser than anyone else because of that. Additionally, you have Sam Tarley, the noble born son of Randall Tarley, who is essentially ostracized because of his weakness, less so because of his birthright. He's ostracized because he is not considered quote unquote manly enough. He's very much a softer individual a softer heart. He's born to a guy who is a warrior. And the guy, she's telling him, listen, you're out. You're, you're done. You're done. You're out of here. So on, on, in some cases, what you're born into is one thing. And you could argue that, yeah, Samuel Tarley was born that way. He was born weak. He was born this. He was born that. And, and ergo, he's been sent off. But I think we're seeing that some of these characters are going to overcome their birthright. Jon Snow is a bastard. He over he's overcoming his birthright. Ramsay Snow is a bastard. He's the Lord of Winterfell right now. He's overcome his birth defect, if to, to use a shitty term. Tyrion Lannister has as well. He's outlived his father. He's outlived a lot of people who have died before him. Ned Stark is very nobleborn. He died right away. So your class certainly has a lot to do with it, but I think there's so much more dynamic within the classes themselves. But for the most part, the slobs that you see at King's Landing that are poor, those people are fucked unless they something happens, unless somebody rises up and becomes a like great fighter sparrow. in a war. Exactly. He's another one. Not only did he walk away from his cobbler father's riches, he has also already ascended to High Septon of King's Landing, which is this odd irony. But I like the idea of class and I like the idea of this. I don't think, I, I think that, I think you have a descriptor which says class is this way, therefore people feel this way. I think that's one thing, but I also think then there's the, the reality of human relationships and dynamics. And I don't think, I think Bran thought of Hodor as a simpleton because he kind of was. He can't communicate. He can't, you know, he's, he's fucked up, man. He's a mess. It's sad, but it's true. He's, he can't do much other than serve them and that's what Hodor does, and that's what Hodor wants to do. So here's um, Kimberly's point in regards to what happened with Hodor. She says, I think Bran warped into Hodor, and that's why he held the door. 
Hodor was scared and wouldn't move before. Hodor always got scared of conflict or fighting, and now we know why. Bran did sacrifice Hodor's life to save his own because the core of Bran's worldview is that Hodor exists to serve him. Right. Bran is powerless physically, but he still has the mentality of the powerful. He and Mira, who is the one who actually issues the command to hold the door, knowing Hodor wouldn't be able to escape himself, have a great deal of affection for Hodor, but they can't help but see him as a nobody. She then later says... That's a stretch to me, personally. She, But she later says, and this to me makes a lot of sense... So even though I don't think Hodor sacrificed himself freely, what's even more of a head trip is that even if he did, I would argue that it wasn't really a free decision. He's been indoctrinated his whole life that the Starks are always to be served and put before himself. And that started back when he was Willis. That didn't just begin when he became Hodor. Yeah, that's a that's also a slippery... There's a lot of slippery slope discussion going on here as far as I'm concerned. But I do like the points and I do like the thought process involved. But to say that you are indoctrinated, therefore you do not have free will, is a slippery slope to me. Because you can't, you don't really know if you have free will. The reality is, is that a lot of these people live to serve their houses. Hodor is part of the Stark's house, in a sense, especially if he's related to Old Nan, which I think is... is yes, Old Nan is his great-grandmother. We have right. already... That's been the confirmed. chat has figured that out for us. Thank you, chat room. Right. And how do we know that a great-grandmother is not maybe maybe in her saying that it seems callous, but maybe it's just her being realistic. Hodor will never be anything more than a stable boy because he, he, he is mentally compromised. He can't fall into a rank. He can't hold a shield for a brother. You can't rely on him to save your life reliably. He doesn't have the, the mental capacity to do it. Uh, and, I, and I think if you're saying that indoctrination is... is it, it, indoctrination is, is also slippery slope terms. The fact that they all want to serve each other, does that mean they're indoctrinated or does that mean that they've built a relationship over time and they love each other? You could say that about anything. You could say, well, you're a Patriots fan because you've been indoctrinated by the local populace and your parents to grow up and be a Patriots fan. So is it free will that you're a Patriots fan? Of course it is, because at any minute you could decide not to be a Patriots fan. You're not under mind control. I know, but that... (laughs) But but I'm saying it's 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 similar in the way she's saying it. The chat's bringing up good 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 points. Littlefinger was from a minor house. He rose up. Kyburn was exiled. He rose up. So there are examples of these people overcoming their birth, overcoming what they were served in life. But to her point, 100%. If you are born into a noble house, especially a powerful one, you have a much easier time than being outright owned like they are in Essos. Right, and I'd like to read this other little part she wrote. She says, Arya and Tyrion, for different reasons, have always felt on the outskirts of their powerful families. But in the end, Arya can never be no one. She can never understand the perspective of the former slaves, which is illustrated by the origin story Jockin tells. Tyrion can't really understand slavery either. He can't even hide in a crowd as a regular merchant because he instinctively walks like a rich man. Agreed. I think the show has been telling us the characters can't shed their class origins. However... Arya is a, to continue the Arya point to drill down further. It, it it comes back. Ned Stark told Arya, "You are going to marry a lord. You're going to have sons and daughters. Your sons are going to become knights. Your daughters are going to become whatever." And he told Arya that that's what you're going to be. But Arya's identity outweighs her class. She does not. If, if she Ned will Stark never wasn't be those dead, things. though. I don't know. If Ned and Catelyn had both lived, I think Arya would become those things because that's just that's a really possibility. her only option. I guess that's a possibility. But who knows with her? Who knows? Who knows how it would turn out? I think 
I think that's jumping to conclusions. I think it's a safe it's assumption. It's jumping to conclusions to say that she would go the same path if they were both still alive, too. I'm not saying she is. I'm just saying that it's a possibility, but it's not a guarantee, right? Right. That's all I'm saying. I think she brings up good points to class. There's obviously, in the feudal system, it is a class divide. The nobles hold the land. You work the fucking land for protection from the nobles, and that's that. If you want to go ahead and leave, go ahead, because you are not a slave, kind of. But now you're taking your chances in the wild. And how are you going to protect yourself? You can't make steel. You don't have money. You don't know how to fight. Unless, you're, unless you've learned how to fight by serving in some sort of Lord's army, you're taking your chances in the wild is, is fucking rough. There's bandits everywhere, right? There's not much you can do. But to her point, if all of the land is already owned, then you are in essentially in a class system and being of lower born does 100% limit your options. I'm just not ready to call it slavery, like in Essos. Essos is clear, in chain slavery. Yeah, I, I don't want to call it slavery either, but I do think it's an interesting commentary. It's not, absolutely. It's not fair. It's not, it's not morally right as far as I'm concerned. So I'm with her on all that stuff. I'm just saying that there's a lot of, I think if you start looking and drilling deeper into that, I think there's other things you have going on there. But I really like the email. It made me think a lot about it. Um, I don't know if Bran sacrificed Hodor because of the entitlement, and I kind of feel like that's what she's getting to. I think that people sacrifice people for the majority all the time, and that might have just been part of it. It might have just been like, look, we need to get away. That's it. Hodor, you have to stay. And if that's what happened, and I'm not convinced of that, then I don't know if that's a simple right of entitlement or if that's just simply a boy who is trying to make a hard decision to save the lives of more people than less people. If you warged into Hodor, you mean? Yeah. So if yeah. you didn't warg into Hodor, then it's really all Mira's fault. Mira Green, as you call her. Right, right. The Green family, they're really big. Yeah, North there you the go. Wall. But I don't know, they're, they're, all, they're all ready to die for. And let's talk about that right now. But good email, I appreciate it. And I'm not, I'm not, I'm not dissuading you from writing in, and you definitely have great thoughts, and I love it. And it makes me think about yeah, shit Yeah, I like a lot. that email a lot. It's really good. Um, but let's get right into this North of the Wall stuff. We pick right up where we left off. Of course, we have Bran's flashbacks going. Well, first, like she, yeah, he's seeing a lot of crazy shit. And crazy we, shit. Can we go through what we've, not what I broke down, but what's been broken down by listener and Deadpool updater and moderator and just great extraordinary human being who helps <laughs> me with things, John Marginson. The man who helps. The man, John Marginson, the man who helps. Um, did the a man little who facilitates. He did a little bit of a breakdown of what he saw during Brand's vision, just bulleted points, and I'm just going to read them. He must have like went slow mo and just jotted each one down. I don't know is, what he did. He might be magical, and he just he just saw it with his eyes. I don't know. Oh yeah, he's pretty awesome. incredible. Anyway, this is what we have from John um, as Brand's vision: um, caches of wildfire below King's Landing, dragons mm-hmm. flying above King's Landing, mm-hmm. Mad King burn them all, part one. He calls it. Winter yeah, coming Targaryen. over the north. Yep. Night's King. White Carse. Bran falling. Red wedding. The birth of Danny's dragons. A White Walker picking up Craster's baby. White Carse, like the wildling chick. Yes. Oh, cool. Keep going. Um, birth of Danny's dragons. White Walker picking up Craster's baby. Baby being changed by the Night's King. Ned's death. More wildfire. The Mad King burn them all. Part two. Okay. Wildfire exploding below the city. Jamie drawing his sword at the Mad King. The young Ned. Wildfire exploding b- below the city? Yes. That's interesting. The green. You don't remember seeing that part? I do yeah, really barely. well. Um, Jamie drawing a sword at the Mad King. Young Ned saying, where's my sister? Someone laying in a pool of blood. 
and looks like someone else is there examining their wounds. Jamie yep. killing Aries and sitting on the throne, more yep. exploding wildfire. Um, and he takes something from this, which I agree with, which is that basically Bran is supposed to be getting everything from Westeros. He's supposed to be coming the three-eyed raven. And what we're seeing is a lot of Targaryen and a lot of Stark. I like it. Which is bringing us back to this whole thing that Jon Snow is, you know, Rhaegar and Lyanna's kid, which I, if anything else happens, I actually don't. I am mad at the show. Okay. I like it. That's all I have to say about that. I like it. So, yeah, we see that. And um, there's a lot of people who extrapolate from this. And I want to talk a little bit about this now. And I know we're giving you a lot of additional content this week, but that's okay. We got a little extra time this week. And uh, I want to talk a little bit about Ares Targaryen, Ares II specifically, the Mad King. There's a lot of information out there about this guy, and uh, I want to talk about it because of some of the comments that we got regarding this. Some people saying, oh my God, is Bran going to make him mad? Does he say something to him to actually cause him to lose his mind? That's a theory that's been floated around ever since he spoke with Ned, ever since he interacted with Hodor. Now there's a lot of speculation going around the internet that somehow Ares II has lost his mind as a result of Bran maybe doing something with him in the past. And that is very possible. However, I do want to talk a little bit about some documented history as it relates to Ares Targaryen. So if you don't want to know about Ares Targaryen, then go ahead and fast forward two minutes because I'm going to tell you a little bit about him. So Ares Targaryen, by all accounts, was actually a very good king for a while. Uh, He came in and him and Lord Tywin were really good friends. Lord Tywin actually knighted him when they were younger, and I think it was during the Nine Penny Wars. So after the Nine Penny Wars, everything was going, and then there was this thing that happened to Ares. So the first thing that happened to him was it was called, and, and you can read a lot about this. You can go to the Wikipedia. You can read the, the book, um, The World of Ice and Fire. There's a lot of different, thing, a lot of different things going on out there. Um, but for the most part, a lot of people believed that Ares' reign for a while was successful because Tywin was the hand and Tywin ran the kingdom. So that always kind of bothered Ares that this was the case. Tywin won support of a lot of merchants. He reduced tariffs. He increased trade. He was, was very good for the economy. Now, things started to get a little bit funky. Ares married his younger sister, as the Targaryens did. Tywin married, I think her name was Joanna Lannister, and Ares had a crush on her. So Ares had a crush on Tywin's wife, and this started to become a problem. In fact, when Tywin got married, Ares made an offhanded remark like, oh, too bad the, the, the Lord's right of first, uh, first night is abolished, which is I fuck your wife the first night like they do in Braveheart. He made an offhanded joke about that. Tywin was pissed. Tywin tried to actually quit being the hand, but at the time it didn't work out. So then this started to get ugly. Tywin would advise Ares, and Ares would ignore him and do the opposite just to spite Tywin, which was always bad news because Tywin was always giving good advice. Ares, out of spite, would ignore it and then do his own thing. And this started to cause a lot of different issues. One of the issues that came up was a real big one, and it was called the Defiance of Duskendale. The Defiance of Duskendale involved somebody named Dennis Darklin of Duskendale, who wanted to have this new proposal about something, a new petition for some kind of charter. He wanted to give it to Ares. Ares didn't want anything to do with it, 
So he fucking kidnapped Ares. He kidnapped the king and held him for six months. Eventually, he got out of it. He was pissed that Tywin didn't come to his aid sooner. Tywin's already on the outs. He already doesn't want to be part of this anymore. And then Lord, the, the Lord surrenders. Ares kills everyone. Everyone of the house. Kills them all. Murder, execution. And then after that, he starts to grow increasingly more paranoid. He's shaken by his imprisonment. He never leaves the Red Keep for four years. He doesn't leave. He becomes paranoid, delusional. He expects treachery everywhere. His relationship with Tywin starts to plummet, okay? He felt that Lord that, that Tywin let him sit in the dungeon on purpose to try to teach him a lesson. Now, to add to the interest of this, as this continues on, is, is that Ares started to suspect that Rhaegar might move against him. So there's, and Rhaegar's his kid. Rhaegar that's killed at the Battle of the Ruby, right? Rhaegar that kidnaps Rhaegar, Leon Stark. father of Jon Snow. Supposedly, yep. <laughs> so he became really paranoid, got crazy, it got ugly. Tywin eventually quits. He actually names Jaime to the Kingsguard. Supposedly, Tywin took that as an insult, like, oh, you're taking away my family's ability to have kids, you son of a bitch. That's how Tywin took it. And the reality is that Cersei manipulated that so she could be close to him. Freaking Cersei. Anyway, things get worse. Things get nasty. And as you know, at the end of Robert's Rebellion, Tywin shows up supposedly as relief because they were loyal to the crown. But oh no, they open the gates thanks to Master Pycelle who convinced them to open the gates, as you know how he is. And the Lannister troops sack King's Landing. Everything goes tits up. He yells, burn them all. He burns the two Stark, Ned's father and Ned's brother. Things get crazy. Jamie kills him. You see a quick flash of that this week, and that's what happens. So I'm not saying Bran didn't do it, but it's interesting to look at the history of Ares, especially as it relates to the Lannisters and how that whole thing went down and how his paranoia slowly but surely became a problem for everyone involved. Even Rhaegar himself supposedly was going to make a move against him supposedly was disenfranchised with what his father was doing and like, holy shit, he's going he's gonna to be the ruin of us all. Well, he was. It got ugly. Although, ironically, Rhaegar running off with Lyanna really kicked things off. Yeah. But it was getting ugly there for a while, and that's a lot of it. There's a lot of details I'm not talking about because I don't get all night. But I urge you guys, if you are interested in that story, take a look at Ares' Wikipedia article. Take a look at World of Ice and Fire. There's a lot of great info there. So there you have it. Boom. Gave you my info. Now, I don't know about you, but I got goosebumps in this scene. When you were seeing the flashes of stuff? Nope. I got goosebumps the way Mira was determined, how she watched her brother die to protect this guy, and how she said, I'm sorry. Yes, I agree. Oh, it gave me goosebumps. Mira, despite being complicit in the murder of Hodor, has really grown on me. He, I, they found us, Bran says, with such hopelessness. Mm-hmm. Oh, Mira crying, I'm so sorry. Gives me goosebumps, she's thinking and about she's it. And she still, and she gets on top of him over him. Right. Like, she still is like, I will, They'll till kill I me am first. dead, yes. protect yes. this kid. I have a lot of respects for her. It made me so emotional watching it. And I loved it. Yeah. And it, then some fucking rider. A, I wrote some awesome dude on a horse, cloaked in black. Death riding a horse, like the pale rider, coming in and just murks these dudes with his flaming flail of death. And then he said, come with me if you want to live. 
Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. Wait, that was the Terminator. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so silly. Come with me if you want to live. Mom, let's go. Uh, great music here. We get a lot of new music in this episode. We get some great music for, for, for Benjin here. The Three-Eyed Raven sent me. The Dead Don't Rest. Later at the camp, they're talking. The Three-Eyed Raven is dead. Now he lives again. Yeah, that's right, because the Three-Eyed Raven called Benjin, and that Three-Eyed Raven is Bran. Yeah. Now he lives again. Of course, Benjin Stark revealed, and then he tells this tale about a white walker stabbed him in the gut with a sword made of ice, left him to die. The children found me. They plunged a shard of dragonglass into his heart to stop the turning. Benjin also knows that Bran had the vision. That was interesting, right? Yes, it was he's interesting. He's very powerful. Very powerful, Benjin Stark. He knows the vision, the, the vision that Bran had, unless somehow the Thread Raven before death gave that to him, but that's wild. It's still either way. Either way, it's wild shit. He's like, you had the vision, you know. I was like, holy shit. So um, there's an excerpt from the book I want to read because it's pretty cool, and it says, oh once the heart has ceased to beat, a man's blood runs down into his extremities where it thickens and congeals. His hands and feet swell up and turn as black as pudding. The rest of him becomes as white as milk. If you look closely, his hands are black. Were they in the episode? Yeah, one of them was pitch black. So pretty cool. Man, I love this scene. I love Benjen being back. I love that he still is Benjen Stark. I just kind of feel bad that when they told Jon Snow Benjen Stark was there, he just got stabbed a bunch of times, and then Bran gets his life saved by Benjen Stark. I know, right? Ironic. I know. Poor John. Sucks being the bastard son, I guess. Yeah, too bad he couldn't have shown up a second earlier because then we would have had Hodor to carry him yeah, around. Yeah, that's a very valid point, and that's a little disappointing, honestly. Because <laughs> Mira, let's, she's trying a little hard out, but she can't carry Bran as fast as Hodor can. So a couple of things. One, did Benjen Stark eat at camp? I'm, I'm, I want to start making theories about him. Um, I did not see him eat, but he was um, killing a rabbit, and it was disgusting. He did kill a rabbit, didn't he? So maybe he was eating, unless he was feeding them. I think he was feeding them. Is he some sort of undead vampire creature? I think he's like a half undead person. That is wild. So he survived in the North all this time with his crazy new undead magic skills. I mean, the the children did to him what they did to a man to make a man into the Night King. But he had already been stabbed by the White Walkers in the first place. So obviously the magic was somewhat different. Because sure. he's not a Night King now. Right. He Very cool. He doesn't got blue eyes. He doesn't have that stuff. So no. he's not undead per se, but he's kind of undead. And I think it's very interesting. This is going to be very interesting mythology. He's only mostly dead. Uh, I guess that's the case. He's only mostly dead. But I love the way he looks. I love that he rides solo. Um, that's so cool. What is going to happen now? Where, where do you think? Where do you think he's going to be taking Bran now? Well, I don't know, but he says that Bran needs to be ready to take on the Night King when the time comes. So... Mm. So what's he going to bring him back to a hut and like make him dig holes and run up mountains and train him like Rocky? Probably. I can't imagine. So if Benjen wanted to return south of the wall, he probably could, right? Do you think his new body is a concern? Do you think it's a problem that do you think he's like, they'll never accept me and I have to live out here? Oh, Benjen? Yeah. Why do you think he's never tried to go home? I mean, all this time. He's I not think lost. Benjen has a job. Ah, I like where your head's at. And I think at. that's why he said the Three-Eyed Raven sent him. I think that's why he knew about Bran's vision. I think just like they're like, okay, Bran, you're going to stop the Night King. You're going to be the Three-Eyed Raven now. I think that Benjen, when this happened with the children, Benjen, you have a job now. You need to protect Brandon Stark, just like Mira Reed protects Brandon Stark. Everybody has to protect this kid. But there's something different with, like, I feel like Benjen now, that is... 
that's why he's alive. Like they kept him alive for this, I feel like. Yana Stark in the chat saying he can't cross because of the magic. That's a good point. Oh, that's a very valid point. Now that he's afflicted. We're so dumb. Now that he's afflicted, he probably can't cross the magic barrier of the wall because it's obviously magic. Yeah. It's not, you don't, men don't just make a fucking, you know, snow castle that ice is over a <laughs> hundred leagues long or whatever it is. Maybe they do. Hmm. I forgot about the wall being magic sometimes. Wild. Sorry. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. That's pretty cool. I guess he's stuck north living out his life. Man, that's a lonely existence. But I'm looking forward. Not if forward. your only job is to take care of Bran Stark. That's true. I like it. I like what's going on here. I'm glad he's back. I love John Marginson's observations about the visions being largely Targaryen and Stark. That's excellent. I'm glad John Marginson does our job for us most of the oh, time so that we have to do less work. We, we so really appreciate easier. him, honestly. <laughs> All right. He's getting a great Christmas present. Let's move, shall we? Sure, let's go. All right, where take are we Take your going? winter clothes off. All right. We're going to Hornhill. Should I take my small clothes off too, Khaleesi? Don't talk in the drum or my voice. He was not here in this episode, but he's in my thoughts always. But you'd promised we'd make love if I healed myself. I can't wait. I can't wait until um, he's back. I hope he's not gone for the whole season. Ugh. Hornhill. Hornhill. It's so green. Gilly remarks. Listen, I love Gilly. I'm sorry, but I love her. Hold on. I love her. Hold I'm sorry. on. I'm sorry, but I do. Two weeks ago when we saw them on a boat, <laughs> and I know because my uncle reminded me how Jessica's just like, I don't give a shit about this. I don't give a fuck about Sam and Gilly. Can we get back to that intriguing time? My name is Jessica. I don't even care. And now she suddenly likes him. I, no, I you, don't listen. like them. Hold Sam on. is still boring as fuck, although I felt bad for him in this episode. But Gilly is just adorable, and she's such a strong, independent woman. And I liked when she had to wear that dress and look I so I am silly. ordering on Amazon through our link, amazon.liverystreetgeek.net. All right. Here's what I'm ordering. Okay. A fucking spin wheel, and I'm going to make up little placards for it. I'm going to print them out on this little printer here behind me. And there's going to be different ways that you feel about different characters. A few are going to say puppies, exclamation point. Obviously. And before every episode, I'm going to spin that shit. And it's going to land on one. It's going to be like, I hate this character. Puppies. Or I hope we see Jorah again. Or Jorah's making me mad. Or Jorah would never make me mad. I hate Stannis. I hate Stannis. Yeah, I know. That's why I was super fickle. That was the Stannis situation. Or dogs. Or... Listen... Hold it, on, let me spin. <laughs> in this show, I have permission to change my opinion on characters as I so choose. You sure do. And my opinion right now is that, no, I don't want to see Gilly for three hours of every episode. But yes, I saw her for one long extended period of time in six episodes. And she was very adorable. And I like that she stuck up for Sam and was a tough, you know, lady. And I like that she wore that dress. It was hilarious. Mm. Um, and she's adorable. And I liked her when Shireen was teaching how to read. So somebody rewind back to that. Dean's Uncle Mike. And um, <laughs> listen to that episode because I like Gillian that episode too. So that's what I have to say to you, sir. Yes. We'll add a placard. Mando, Churin, and Chess says burn them all. Absolutely. Yeah, that'll, them all. that'll be one of the placards for sure. Burn them all. I like how Gilly says you're a nervous talker. Yeah. I was immediately reminded by a little encounter with Hound, the Hound in Arya, when he goes, you're a talker. Talkers make me thirsty. And he drinks the whole fucking thing. Oh, the hound. I immediately thought of the Hound. But she does. She calls him a nervous talker. And Sam cautions Gilly about the following. A, this is our baby. And B, don't tell them you're a wildling. Very important, Gilly. Well. She's going to fuck it up. Excuse my language. They show up. We 
Sam does mention that the wee baby Sam will get an education. Wee baby Sam. Cool music. We get an exterior shot of Horn Hill. There are these like dirge-like strings, this constant droning tone, like a hurdy-gurdy. I don't know what it was, but it sounded badass. New characters. We meet Melissa Tarley, Tala Tarley, Dickon Tarley, and of course, Randall Tarley. King douchebag, I call him. By the way, I love Sam's mom. She's adorable. If she wants to adopt me, I mean, I don't really want Randall Tarley to be my dad, but Sam's mom seems very lovely. She's a sweetheart. Honestly, she seems lovely. And his sister is also adorable. And his brother Dickon is also cute. So Yeah, but not super hot like you were saying while well, a little drunk last night. I thought he was cute, but he was, was no Loris was... Tyrell. Okay. Although anyway. now he's better than Loris Tyrell because Loris is just dirty and a little bitch lying on a floor in a dungeon somewhere. Wow. Just make it end. Listen, everybody knows that my favorite is Jorah. So like my opinion on the younger good looking men does, isn't even valid anymore at this point. It's true. So Tally... Tala and Melissa Tala are, Green, is that her name? <laughs> Tala. Tala and Melissa are immediately uh, kind to all of them. Uh, Gilly gets dressed up nice. Sam combs no. his hair. Before, like, is are you talking about when they're in the house, when Gilly has the Talk fancy dress on? Talk about whatever you want on? to, we're in the scene. I just wanted to mention that, you know, Sam's like, okay, you have to sell the, the idea that this baby's mine. And then when Sam's like, here's my baby, Samuel. And the baby's like, hello, I'm the baby. I'm like, oh my God, this baby's a great actor. Like he was really into it. He like reached over to like uh, Sam's mom. Like, oh, grandma. I hear he's method. He reads. He was good. Uh, he, I think method. he was living in that life. I, I appreciated his work. Dickon. Uh, all right. So she gets dressed up real nice. Sam puts a little part in his hair. And uh, a lot of hair gel. We have the guess who's coming to dinner scene, which is great. I Awful. love the scene. So awkward. It's brutal. Fucking brutal. Yeah, Randall Tarley is an asshole. Boy, he's rough. So it opens dimly lit candlelight. This nice hall. A heavy silence just hangs in the room. It hangs in the room. And then Randall glares around. Sam compliments the venison, but he kind of fucks this up because of the timing of when they would have the deer and when they could cure it, showing his ignorance of hunting. Right off the bat, this is he tries to open his mouth and he fucks up. He tries to compliment them on something. He tries to show a little bit, and then he just outright fails because he doesn't know shit about hunting. Yeah, I appreciated that his brother was just chill about it. He's like, no, 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 Sam. Sam. Like, he's going to pat him on his leg. Sam. No. No. We can't cure a, an elk in an hour, you fool. But he did it in like the kindest way. Like he was very mm. sweet and chill about it. Well, Sam talks about rabbits and then Randall digs into this venison, disgusted. And uh, Melissa tries to pull Randall into the conversation, right? So here's mom, a MILF, by the way. And she had like cleavage oh, yeah. for days. She's MILF. No question about it. She knows it. Absolutely. Well, she's married to Randall Tarley. She clearly needs to find somebody. How do you know that he's not a good lover? He might be a good lover, but I don't think he's very nice. Who said anything about being nice to be a good lover? She probably likes somebody to be nice to her at some point in her life. Come on. You white people know what I'm talking about with your 50 shades of nonsense. (laughs) All right. I think our father could learn a thing or two from your father. Oh, I love that part. Oh, Randall did not like that, did he? No, but neither did Gilly because of what she's saying. Tala is basically so excited that Gilly knows how to hunt. She's like, oh, your dad taught you how to hunt? Our dad can learn from your dad. And let's remember that Gilly's dad was Craster who raped people, Uh, made them have babies, and then raped the babies when they grew up. And if they were boy babies, he put them in the forest to be turned into White Walkers. That explains why Gilly can't get right. So, 
I felt bad for Gilly in that moment because Tallow was so excited and Gilly's like can't say anything, but she's just like, oh, fuck, but my dad is really an asshole. Yeah, I know what you're saying. Um, Were you going to ask me something? Yeah. What? Can you pass the bread? Why, you're not fat enough already? (laughs) Poor Sam. (laughs) This is every time Jessica and I go out to eat. No, not anymore. (laughs) But it used to be. I I don't eat gluten, but when when I did... Good Lord. I never said that to you. Good Lord. For the record. I would eat so much bread when they give you the bread at the beginning of the meal. I, <laughs> I, I just like, why even have a meal if I can just eat free bread? Not fat enough already. With so Randall. bread. Oh, not Randall's show so good. I know you guys are making fun of Randall, but he's fucking progressive. He knows the dangers of carbs. Yeah. He knows about carbicide. Gluten's not good for Sam. His family's got an intolerance. He, he really, you know, celiacs. It, it runs in the family. He's just looking out for him. Randall's just looking Only out for him. Only one piece of bread. Not fat enough already. I thought the Night's Watch would have made a man out of you. Oops. You managed to stay soft and fat. Nose buried in books. Reading about the achievements of other men. Boy, Randall Tarley is a mean son of a bitch. And I might have mentioned this last week, but I will repeat it. Uh, just to give you guys an idea as to who Randall Tarley is, of course, he runs House Tarley at Horn Hill. They have nice territory, nice castle. They are bannermen to the Tyrells, so just remember that. So Mace Tyrell is his lord. What a fucking winner. Mm, yeah, Mace Tyrell is his lord. So if Mace Tyrell is your lord, I could see probably having to be a little more hard to make sure you're looking out for yourself, because fuck, if that chucklehead's running the show. Anyway, Gilly comes to uh, Sam's defense, which I love. He's a great Me warrior too. than either of you. Adorable. He killed a Then and a White Walker. Yes. But then she slips up. Again, as someone in the chat already said, you had one job, Gilly. One job. And she gets very emotional here Listen. while sticking up for Sam. And she slips up. And she mentions like, hey, so when we were, you know, coming down south of the wall. There's a couple of dark spots in her brain if you do one of them scans. Stop. Don't talk about Gilly like I'm that. I'm just throwing it out there. As you Don't like you to talk say, talk about her like that. There's a couple of dark spots on that old brain scan. All I know is that Gilly's it's inbreeding it is right all I'm saying. up. Yeah, she does. And then she's like, "You know what? I am a wildling asshole. What are you going to do about it?" And Randall's like, "Well, and he he is not. Well, <laughs> he's like, let me tell you what I'm going to do. Let me do. tell you what I'm going to do about it." And uh, I like how I like how Gilly is tough for a while, but then realizes not to press the matter with this guy. She's a smart girl. She's smart. Even though Dean says that she's a can't get right, I disagree. Well. You're a wildling. Here I sit, hosting one in my hall. He calls her that. Yes. He's brutal. He says, oh gosh, where is it? Anyway. Oh, oh no, he says, I took you for a Molestown whore when I saw you. I, I overestimated made... him. It was a wildling whore that seduced my son. Is this you getting back at me, boy? Bringing that to my table and making me dine with, with it. it? Yes. I like what how... a piece I like... of crap this I like guy how he is. Say... I like how he says... Uh... I like how he says, um, I made my peace with her being a Molestown yeah, whore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If she was a Molestown <laughs> whore, that would be fine. But if she's a wildling whore, then my God. You know what, though? Can I come to Randall Tarley's defense a minute? Because I think this is a little one-sided. Sure, I'd love to hear it. So here you go. You have this great house. You've won all these battles. Out pops this fat little doughy slob out of your wife's vagina, now destroyed. He should talk to uh, Next thing Silent you know, about this. He wants to read books and play with the womanly arts. You got a fucking castle to run. Here you go. This kid's your heir. What are you going to do? Keep him around? You got to boot him. Get out of here, kid. Go read your books. If you don't, I'm going to probably murder you on a hunt because that's what I do. Next thing you know, shows back up, left the goddamn wall while still technically, he didn't, he didn't, I don't think he 
He didn't abandon the wallet because John gave him permission to leave to go become a maester, but that's yeah, not a yeah. normal thing. I the know. Watch so allows. again, here we go. Now, now the fat, worthless kid needs special privileges from his lord friend. He brings home this lady who fucking doesn't even know what she's doing, looks like a stiff knucklehead, insults your warriorship and your son Dickens at How your table you in Dickens. your hall. And you expect him to be nice to these people? I don't know. I think I'm on Randall's Tarly side in this one. Sounds typical of you, Dean, honestly. <laughs> I'm just saying. The poor lords in this realm, as, as Kim Robbins pointed out, these poor lords trapped with the responsibility of guarding the land's from all the savages out there. And you guys are just going to insult him by bringing horrors to the supper table. I'm just glad that Sam's sweet, <sighs> sweet milf mother takes Gilly away from here. <laughs> She's so sweet. There was no like lesbian scene, though, so don't get excited. Wow. Well, that was coming because it didn't happen. That's where your mind went. Nobody else's did. So anyway, we learn about hearts, Bane. 500 years, Valyrian steel. Only a handful left in the world. You will never... Never wield that sword. Yep. Well... Anyway, Want to bet, dude, is what I wrote at that point. Are you getting Wanna back at bet me, boy? Dude. So uh, things move along. And then, of course, Randall, because of the right of hospitality, because of his honor-bound self, outside of getting rid of his son, he says, I'll take the boy and Gillian. She can work in the kitchens to yeah. please your mother. I'll take Gillian so she can be my slave laborer and work in my kitchen. And Mark then I will one raise for Kim baby. Robinson. Mark one yeah. for Kim Robinson. Um, but you're out of here, dude. Pack yeah, your bags. dude, and he said, dude, that was a direct quote. Direct quote. I don't want anyone to be confused. And then later in the bedroom, we see Gilly's not mad at Sam. I'm angry that horrible people can treat good people like that and get away with it. Oh, that makes me love Gilly. Heart I know. Melter. I'm probably going to hate her next week, but today she's on my, my, my high list, my list of people I'm high on. He breaks the news. Sam has to leave. First light. Gilly kisses Sam. It's very adorable, very sweet. You're not what he thinks you are, Sam. He doesn't know what you are. Sam says goodbye, but not really. Then he comes back. This was completely unexpected for me. Me too. I thought Gilly was going to be stuck with the Tarleys. And I thought we were going to move on to Sam's maester root thing going and on. And I was going to be bored as fuck. So anyway, we're leaving. We belong together. All of us. Heart melter. I'll yeah, tell I mean, you I what. Guess. That's Sam. How many people at home in, in the, the chat would throw this guy a mercy fuck? Come on. I'd hug him. No mercy fucks? I'd maybe kiss him on the mouth. Oh my... That might be good enough for him. I wasn't listening to him. So, holy shit. Did Sam just steal Heartsbane? Yeah. And I wasn't surprised about that at all because it's Valerian Steel. Does he think he has a right to the sword? Because he's going to be hunted down for this. He took the sword because it kills White Walkers. That's why he took the sword. Mm. And someone in the chat said it. And that's immediately what I thought at the time. That's not the only reason. He took it despite his father. He took it despite his father, too. But if it wasn't Valerian Steel, I don't know if he would have done that. Do you think he took a bunch of bread? Despite Probably, his father. honestly. <laughs> you loaded up it's a like, bag of bread. bread. I'm going to take this uncured elk, too. God damn it. <laughs> oh, boy. He's just stuffing it. They, they have a camp somewhere in the woods. He's just stuffing his face with bread and crying. That sounds like that could probably. It sounds like me and like a, you know. It's <laughs> a long work day. Once eating a bread, drinking oh, wine. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, well, he leaves right away. Are we going to see Randall Tarley more? I mean, is this going to... It's a waste of... What, what's going to happen? I mean, I guess Sam's going to continue to try to go to Old Town? I don't know about that. And in my comment, I will read later, there's a comment on where Sam's going to go. And yeah. I agree with my comment. All right. So I did like Horn Hill a lot. I liked that scene. 
I think it's a good reminder as to where Sam has come from. And you know, I don't know if everybody in the chat knows this, but I'm, I've, uh, I've been rereading the books. And I'm rereading the first one right now. I'm about 300 pages in. And you know, Sam meets Jon Snow and, uh, and Sam talks a lot about his relationship with his father. And oddly enough, Sam probably represents most people. He doesn't like to see things suffer and die. He doesn't feel like going out into the woods and hunting. He doesn't want to engage in combat. And uh, we can all sit here and, and, and act like we're a bunch of badasses. But I think, I think Sam is relatable as a common man outside of being large. I mean, if he was skinny, he'd still represent... Isn't the common man large? Aren't most people overweight in America? In America, for sure. Yeah. Um, but I'm just saying, my point is, is, is that I think that he is seemingly this comedic character, but every victory that Sam has is a major victory because of how much he is overcoming, because of how much the deck was stacked against him as it relates to the way he is, the stuff he is made of. And when he has accomplishments, when he overcomes, it's very strong. It's a big thing when somebody seemingly weak has a large success. It makes it seem much more courageous. If you're a badass warrior and you kill three guys, okay, you're a badass warrior. You killed three guys, but what the fuck did you overcome, right? Right. So there you go. Sam does it. It's, it's, it's special. Yeah, Sam's special, Zadine. He so. is special. Real special. Not special like Gilly special, but a different special. Not special like you would throw him a mercy fuck? I would throw Gilly a mercy fuck. Would it be mercy? Like, she's very, she's no, pretty. She's super hot, actually. <laughs> All right. I'm done with Horn Hill. Are Me you? Me too. I'm done. See you guys later. See you in, uh, hopefully not again this season, honestly, unless it's something super exciting. Like, that was my fill of Gilly, because I'm not going to like her again next time. So let's just keep on wow. moving. You have, just being honest. You have various sized cups. This is my analogy for <laughs> yes. you. You have various sized cups. The first is like a 7-Eleven Big Gulp. Yeah. It's fucking huge. Mm-hmm. And on it says dogs. <laughs> I thought you were going to say Jorah, but yeah, dogs. direwolves. Yep, and yep, that's appropriate. Despite how much I pour into it, I never can quite fill it. Okay. <laughs> the next cup size down is an extra large movie theater cup. Okay. And it says Jorah. Maybe Littlefinger. Slash Jon Snow. Slash. Without the man bun. Littlefinger. And that's a pretty decent cup. Yeah, pretty and then we work like our way down from there. And some cups just change on a day-to-day basis. And I think Gilly and Sam is a shot glass. And sometimes I like Gilly and she becomes a martini glass. No, but then she I don't think she does. Oh. I think she's a shot glass for you. And you were like, you know what? I haven't had a shot in a while. Boom. You down a shot. You move on. You are correct. I am correct. Raise a glass to me. And, and, and dogs are like the big gulp filled with wine. I guess. I like it. All right. King's Landing. So Tom and the High Sparrow have a little heart to heart, which is I always can't stand the High Sparrow. Lovely. <laughs> he's the worst. I'm starting to respect him. Just gonna throw it out there. He's a he's a clever son of a bitch. Oh good lord! Not as clever as Marjorie. I think Marjorie's about to fucking make her move. Ooh. And then die. You're not convinced on Marjorie? All right, hold oh, that thought. Oh no! Oh god no! Okay, it starts with Tom and saying, "Is there no other way?" Oh, rubber lips. That's yeah, uh, almost hot. Scott calls him rubber lips. <laughs> Scott. <laughs> so rubber lips as he will now be called is uh is is wondering is another way and they are discussing marjorie's walk of atonement correct correct the high sparrow tells tommy not to worry marjorie's not like cersei in other words he's saying don't worry about her as much as your mom because she is loved by the She's common good. people. the good the, the common people like her they like her 
more than they like Cersei. So that they're probably not going to wave their dicks at her and throw tomatoes in her face. They're probably not going to do that, you mean? Right. And call her a cunt and spit at her and stuff. No, they're probably just going to like whack off later and think about her. Uh, Okay, sure. Uh, Tommen gets to see Marjorie. Have you been looking at my phone again? (laughs) (laughs) I told you. It's password protected for a reason. Where angels fear to tread, Jessica. Where angels fear to tread. Wait a second. So anyway, Tommen gets to see Marjorie. Marjorie tells Tommen that everything will be okay. And Tommen's like, wait a second, but you have to walk, dear. And she's like, well, the high is not quite what we thought he was, is he? Marjorie says. Tommen agrees. There is something about him, old rubber lip says. His way of looking at the world. He's helped me, Marjorie says. So Tommen's confused. You've always been a good person. Marjorie recalls helping the poor, but as a political move. She says, I made sure that I was always seen doing it. How good I was at seeming good. That's mm-hmm. very revealing about Marjorie and very accurate as a yes, lot of it nobles is play this game, right? It's like every politician ever shaking hands and kissing babies, right? Because the cameras are on. Exactly. And then they're fucking their, you know, and the 17 year old interns. And they a kid. Yeah. They bang an intern. Yeah, exactly. Anyway, it's a relief to let go of those lies, Marjorie says. And then um, she he says, says well, what about Loris? He needs to atone. For all the good he is, his sins don't erase this. Hmm. At this point, I realize something. Okay. Let's talk about this. I want you to talk to me. Okay. One, is she deceiving Tommen or is she being honest here? She's deceiving him. Why does she not trust him? Because that's why the, would she? His mother is Cersei why Lannister. He, why doesn't she trust old Rubber Lips? Um, because he came from the birth canal of Cersei. <laughs> is that not reason enough? I almost spit water everywhere. So you're saying that the the very canal in which he was birthed tainted him forever? Uh, yeah. Why would she? Has she ever trusted Tommen? No, Tommen's just been a little boy that she can manipulate to get her way, and that's exactly Hold what on. she's doing now, and it's exactly what she's doing in the High Sparrow. Slow down there, uh, old veiny neck. <laughs> My neck really veiny. I'm glad this isn't a video podcast, honest to God. So there's two reasons she doesn't trust him, because she thinks he will deceive her or that he is incompetent. He's incompetent and, and he might tell Be his manipulated mom everything. by Cersei. Okay. So it's not that she doesn't trust him, meaning she is concerned that he is an untrustworthy person. He's just not reliable because he's easily manipulated. And he's a child. So instead of trusting him, she's going to manipulate him. Right. Because that's what's worked for her before. So she might as well keep doing it. So do you think she's saying all the right things to Tom and that she's playing the long game? Oh, yeah. Okay. So if she's playing the long game, that brings us to the confrontation. And let's talk about all the moving pieces here and see if we can figure out what the plan is. Yeah. What Marjorie's plan is? I'm still not yep. sure. But. Yep. So let's talk about Jamie and Mace Tyrell's confrontation of the High Sparrow. <clears throat> I think it starts a little bit like this. If I were king of the forest. Right? He is such a fucking windbag. Sounds about right. He's the worst. He says. He should be in that play in Bravos. He should be in the play in Bravos. He would be perfect. Here's his fucking words, this chucklehead. The hour has come. Madness has overtaken this city and grasp it in its claws, my children. Now we have to drive it back under the rocks from whence it came. Madness has had its day. Is this guy in a play? Is he for real? He's the worst. I like when they, they cut on Jamie's face when he's doing this. And you can just see Jamie's face like evaporating confidence as he realizes that this is the guy. It's brutal. It's pretty bad. 
Anyway, the highest power talks some shit about Marjorie. The Tyrellas arrive. Jamie looks badass. Elena's there. Everyone's Love there. Love Elena. Love her. The troops are ready. The High Sparrow greets them. Jamie, always the wisecracker. Sorry to interrupt, but I'm here for Marjorie Tyrell. Oh, you're just so cute, Jamie. The High Sparrow says, I don't have the authority to give you over, and you don't have the authority to take them. Jamie rides up the steps, which is so epic. I speak for King Tommen of House Baratheon, first of his name. Oh, that do you? nonsense. Oh, do you? He says, oh, no, no. Surprise. You actually don't, Jamie. You, know, you actually and- don't. They uh they want to die in the service of their gods. They would love that. That would be awesome. And I'm like, I would love that too because I need somebody on my Deadpool to die. So please God. <laughs> and then it like cuts to Lancel's face, like, and I'm like, all I felt was, thank God, I've seen Lancel now. It took six episodes, but he's still here, which means he can still be killed. Unlike freaking Gendry, who God only knows where he is, and he'll probably never be killed. Right. Right. I was afraid that Lancel was going to become Gendry. <laughs> the High Sparrow then says. There will be no walk of atonement. And then the people start to murmur. So the High Sparrow murmur, murmur, murmur. High Sparrow does the old gambit move. The old show you one thing, give you the, the other. That old, that old hat. That old thing. Right? She's atoned by bringing another into the true light of the seven. Out walks Tommen fucking Baratheon with some Kingsguard and their fancy new breastplates that show the seven-pointed star. Jamie's pretty embarrassed at this point since he just took Tommen's name saying that he wanted <laughs> war to save Marjorie. He feels pretty fucking foolish, honestly. Oh, you mean this Tommen, the High Sparrow gestures. This is the one this who you're fighting his name? <laughs> Come on, the High Sparrow's fucking gangster, right? I just imagine when Jamie said that, the High Sparrow's like, <laughs> just you wait. Now that, what, okay, so here's what drove me nuts about the High Sparrow before was is that I feel like they were trying to sell him as somebody who really thought that they were trying to be super good and didn't have ulterior motives. But now that I know that he is, in fact, that, now I have respect for him. <laughs> now that I know he's a deceiver and he's trying to do this shit, I actually respect him. Um, so there's a lot to talk about here. So the first thing is, is that they start to talk about a holy alliance between the crown and the faith. The people cheer. The people love this shit. Yeah, they do. The crown and the faith are the twin pillars on which the world rests. Quoting Sound his familiar? mother. Quoting his mother. I thought it was Tylen. Nope. He, he lied she, to me earlier today. I thought it Bastard. was too, but she said it to um she said it to the high sparrow Cersei did when she was like giving him power. Freaking Cersei. And then Mace is like, What's happening? Looking around like a he's confused very moron. Confused. And then um, he's beating us, Olena says. That's what's happening. I can't wait to go back and hump someone else. I just love that Olena is like, you're an idiot, sir. We lost. He's like my son, and he's an idiot. That's how Olena feels about Mace Tyrell. She's like, oh, hello, dummy. Right. They got to Tommen. We lose. Yeah, we lose. He wins. Game over. He's the You're king. an idiot. I wish you would have slapped him in the face, honestly. <laughs> that would have been amazing. She walks up to the horse and just smacks him when his helmet falls off. Yeah. <laughs> he goes, <laughs> after she smacks him, he rides off. His, his troops chase after him in a comedic sort of. He's the worst. I don't know. Anyway, so Jamie, uh, well, we'll come to the Jamie being dismissed. So, yeah, this unfolds. Now, Cersei's not going to like this is how I'm feeling right now. A couple she of things. not going to like this. What happened here? We still don't know what the secret is. A lot of people think it's that Marjorie's pregnant. I know. Which I think is a reasonable thing. And if Marjorie's pregnant, she's definitely going to die. So I'm high on that. I think, I think prop goes to listener Keith. Well, oh, yes. Well, he, that was he, Keith. He posted that today. That, that He said, quick prediction before this week's episode. So that's why she can't make her walk of atonement if she's pregnant. I want to talk about even the high sparrow would not want her to do that. He'd want to cut some type of deal. I want to talk about my my predictions as to how this would unfold and how wrong it was and how I was so obtuse to not consider 
what Marjorie would try to do or what, you know what I'm saying? In other words, the whole time I was thinking Tommen and Marjorie are simply going to be to, to receive whatever is decided by everyone else. Oh, you you just did not give Marjorie Tyrell enough credit. I didn't She's give anybody credit little, except the people I mean, with, the, with the power of arms. But that's a great, there's a great lesson to be learned here. You know, a lot of times might makes right, and I'm not saying that's morally just, but you have the power, you have the monopoly on force, which the Tyrells clearly did. They could have... Despite the conversation that took place on the steps, they still could have taken the city by force. But they didn't because they couldn't because they lost. They lost the, the Game of Thrones in a sense. I hate when that and happens. that's what was so cool about this scene is, is that I didn't give enough credit to what could happen beneath the scenes beneath outside them. of the arms thing here, outside of the, the warriors and shit. And that's what was really cool about the scene, what I liked a lot about it. So you think Marjorie's manipulated Tommen? Yep. Do you think that she expected Tommen to take this move? I think she knew she could talk him into it if she could see him. So now that she has, do you think, think she, she can talk him out of it? Or do you think she's now going to say, me oh, and Tommen are done? Oh, no, I mean, no, she no. can't just walk away from Tommen. What do you mean? Why would she walk away from him? Tell me what you think is going to happen. Marjorie probably sat and had a conversation with the High Sparrow, perhaps telling him that she was pregnant. And she basically said, look, if I don't have to make this walk of atonement, if you can let me free... I, I'll deliver the king. I'll, I'll deliver the king to you. You're going to have more power. You're going to have him on your side. I'll, how about this? I'll legitimize the sparrows. Exactly. I'll legitimize them through the king. Exactly. Because the king has almost been their enemy a few times. Almost. So Marjorie's smart here if this is what you're saying. Continue. And, and the reason why I feel this is her when, and I really felt it when she, as soon as she talked about Loris and she said Loris needs to atone, I'm like, this is not her. But you know what? I think Marjorie at this point would even sacrifice Loris for herself and the greater good at this point because he has proven to be so weak He's in their last conversation. Man. And that's why I think we saw that on previously on Game of Thrones, him saying, I just want it to stop. And she was like, I'm going to join these people because that's what I need to do for myself. I can't sit around because she says we can't give them what they want right. to Loras. And then she turns around and gives them what they want right? because she realizes that that's her better move and that gives her more power. Now she's in an alliance with the faith militant this is exactly what Cersei doesn't want after what happened to Cersei. She's now taken what Cersei did, which is given these people power because Cersei thought it would bring Marjorie down and flip the entire thing around. Right. Put herself in more power. Put Tommen with her. Because mm -hmm. Tommen's about to dismiss his uncle slash dad from the Kingsguard. Okay? That's insane, by the way. Insane. But I want to, well, but that's, that's good to talk the about. The Lannisters are in trouble here. And Marjorie is playing real smart but she's gonna die before the end of the season 100 you still think she's gonna die oh yeah i think she's gonna die more now than i did before how would that happen i don't know if something's gonna kill her maybe Cersei. it'd have to be an assassination Cersei. it'd have to be an assassination at this point because the the, the king's landing will not there will, there will be no big battle at king's landing i don't think i just don't see it i don't think so either but i'm telling you that i did see it right up until this moment on the steps the Sept of Baelor. I still think there might be a problem, but okay. I, I'm, I still, I think that it's more likely that Marjorie dies now, now that she's made this move and made a real enemy out of For Cersei. Sure. There's no pleasantries in faking it now. Right. She's declared all out war against Cersei and what Cersei wants at this point. The beauty. She's manipulating, manipulating, manipulating. I fucking love it. So I love her. The beauty of this, the beauty of what I like about this is, is that nobody can, nobody really knows what you're thinking until violence becomes involved. And that's what's so brilliant about the slow play here is, is that Marjorie can sell the High Septon, this whole thing, this whole thing, and he still isn't sure if she's loyal to what she's saying or not. He can't be certain. But what he can do 
because you got to take it from his perspective. She's she says, okay, here's here's Marjorie. I'm going to sell. Loris is a broken man. I have no options. They want me to do the Walk of Atonement. I don't want there to be bloodshed. I can't trust the Lannisters. I don't know what's going on outside of the cell. I have no intelligence. I don't know shit. So what I'll do is I'll convince Tommen that we legitimize these guys. We'll take our fucking vows and we will reassert the faith of the seven with the crown and thus take all the power that Cersei had and give it to ourselves and then go from there. A great play by them. Right. Now, Olena is not privy to this plan. No, and she's not thrilled about it. And she's not thrilled about Nobody it. Nobody is thrilled about what Nobody's happens thrilled here. About it. Right. But Marjorie was in a situation where she had to, you know, shit her get off the pot, as they say. Right. And she made her move. The problem is, is that these things have a way of sticking around because you can't slaughter the high sparrow now because then you'll have a revolution, right? So we could be seeing, we saw this backfire on Cersei. Could it backfire on Marjorie? It could, but I mean, we've already seen that plot, so. Hmm. I like it. It's Something's interesting. Something's going to happen. It's, a, it's, very, it's very slick. I, I think like we might lose Marjorie and Tommen. Okay. We're going to talk about Tommen in okay. a minute here because we still have a prophecy about Tommen. Yeah, we do. And we still, have a, uh, we still have Cersei to talk about. And of course, Jamie's dismissal from the Kingsguard. But lots of things going on here at the, and I like it. I like where this is headed. Um, a couple of things that were mentioned in the, in the Facebook page was is that uh, you know, the, the faith of the seven has been restored at King's Landing. It's always technically been there. So the official, the official religion of the seven is, is them, is the, 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 the seven, the, whatever yeah, the fuck it's called. Yeah, the High Sparrow and his people are just like crazy people. Well, they're, they're just the, they're just the zealots they're of like that. Like the Jehovah's Witnesses. Or, <laughs> I don't know. I hope there's nobody in the chat who's a Jehovah's Witness. No Christmas. Like, what the F is No Christmas. Knocking on doors. Yeah, no, no blood transfusions either. They're they like, like the that. they're like the flagellant, the the flagellants from back in the day. The, so that pe- whip people, themselves. yeah, yeah. I, know. That's, I read the Scarlet Letter. Yeah, that's exactly what they're like. They're the extreme version. So the faith has always the faith of the seven is what it's called. Sometimes I miss words because I'm all excited. But the faith of the seven has always been the legitimate religion in King's Landing for the seven. It gets thinner as you travel north. The people in the north. Ned Stark, the Stark specifically, are more interested in the quote-unquote old gods. The faith of the seven... I swear by the old gods and the new, as Brian would say all the time. Love her. The, the new gods, quote-unquote, the new gods, is when the Andal invasion happened, and they brought the whole knightly culture over. And that was when the faith of the seven came over and kind of chased the old gods away, much like Christianity did to the pagans. Okay? So the faith of the seven is the legitimate... You have Septs of Baelor, the marriage stuff, the death stuff. That's all Faith of the Seven stuff. But what the High Sparrow is saying is, is that, oh, these High Septons have lost their way. You guys have lost their way. You, you, this religion has become a mockery. We're going to restore to the old days, the Old Testament days. We're going to go back to the blood for blood days. That's what he's saying. We're going to make it the way it's supposed to be, which is kind of cool. And that's another thing I noticed, that Eddard Stark was never Sir Eddard Stark. That was more of a southern thing. That's not a north thing. They don't call them. They're not because oh, really? they're less involved. The faith of the seven is the knightly culture that we know from like medieval Europe. I'm just glad that in King's Land, I'm glad that Ned Stark can't be Sir Eddard Stark. But in King's Landing, there's a cat called Sir Pounce. Sir Pounce. I'm just gonna throw that out there. There you go. So awesome shit going on in King's Landing. I love it. Jamie is dismissed. Remnant of the Sir Barristan Selmy. With with Kevin Lannister just standing right there like, you <sighs> bastard. So he is dismissed. 
The reason why is obvious. In case you missed it, he he stood up against the faith of the seven. Tommen's new bros. He said, you know, but I I've, I I have to answer to the gods. The crown's decision is final. Jamie inquires about his punishment. You served your house and your king faithfully, faithfully, but it will not be in this city. So he's obviously going to be dismissed from King's Landing, either to return to Castle de Rock, which is what I guessed, or nope. maybe he's going to do something else. He's going to go to River Run. Now, do you think that the dismissal of Jamie Lannister is going to be a history repeats itself thing, which George R. R. Martin loves to do in going to be the downfall of this guy, just like it was kind of of Joffrey, part of the beginning of his downfall? Possibly. Possibly. Um, before we talk about Jamie's conversation with Cersei, you just want to throw the stuff at the twins in there with Walder Frey talking about the blackfish, and then we can talk about how Jamie's being sent there. Can I say one more thing about sure. Jamie? So about Jamie Lannister, and this is something that I think is interesting to think about. All these knights and all these lords and all their honor and all their rules, Jamie Lannister could give a fucking shit, right? He could give a dusty fuck, as he told Tyrion, about rules. He's made that clear. If there's one thing that Jamie Lannister has been consistent in is, is that he doesn't care about rules. He doesn't care about tradition. He doesn't care about oath or honor or any of that shit. And that's one of the fascinating things about Jamie, especially when we get when we learn a lot more about Jamie in the second and third seasons. And that's it all doesn't matter. It's all bullshit. And that's something I love about him. I don't think he truly gives a fuck being dismissed from the King's card like Barristan Selmy did. That was a big deal for Selmy. Selmy is very different from Jamie. He's very honor bound. He's very this. He's very that. Also, he's amazing. I miss him. He gets called Kingslayer. But the reality is, is that this fucking king was killing people. He hated Tywin. He wanted Tywin dead. And Jamie said, you know what? My loyalty is to my house, not to a set of rules. So I'm going to fucking follow my heart in this. And that's what he did. And that's what's so crazy about Jamie is, is that if he doesn't think this thing is something that he's down with morally, he could give a fuck about the rules. He's going to do what he wants to do. And uh, this is a situation where he might be forced to kind of do something he's not crazy about, which is like, fuck, I got to go to River Run and siege the castle at River Run, a very defendable castle that can hold out a siege for a year. This is what I have to do now? I guess we can continue talking about Jamie now that we've started this. Now the best way to go is to actually talk about Jamie. Pause. Go to the twins. No, no, no. You I, sure? Yeah, because... What you just said segues perfectly into the Jamie and Cersei okay. stuff. So, all right, that's without fine. that segue, the twins is a good in between. But with the segue, we'll go to the twins. After. All right. So, Jamie is pissed that he has to clean up after Walder Frey, who's four hundred. Can't do it himself. <laughs> yes, he's four hundred. So it wasn't that Walder was Frey specifically, but his silly sons who lost Castle Riverrun. I guess it was lost and then retaken by Brendan the Blackfish, Caitlin's uncle. So sorry last week when I said that that was a lie and Brendan the Blackfish wasn't actually there. Just kidding. I was wrong. <laughs> Whoops. Jamie says he's going to pay off Braun and a bunch of other cell swords and get rid of the High Sparrow. Cersei's like, no, no, no. This is the most passion I've ever seen from Jamie and from this actor. They took our son. He says it loud. They took our son. He's pissed. And I like that. I like seeing that out of Jamie. This is what matters to him. His son. Yes. He's lost a daughter already. He's losing family members like flies. There's he will not lose Tom. Oh, but he's gonna. Right? He probably he probably could give a shit about the King's Guard appointment, but to have his son dismiss him, that's more hurtful than the King's Guard. He could give a shit. He's more mad that his son told him son to leave. Slash nephew. Right. <laughs> but as far as he's concerned. And as far as uh, the reality is concerned, he's like 
Right. That's hard. That's hard news to take. He's mad about this. He hates the high sparrow for turning his son against him. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Cersei. And for making Cersei do the Walk of Atonement, he's not happy about that shit either. And for cutting Cersei her hair, he doesn't like that either. Is cool as a fucking cucumber here. Typical Cersei. Love Cersei here. Chilling. Got her arm up in a pose. Drinking her wine. And Probably she not, but, is beating the drum of patience. She says, go take the stupid little castle back because it's ours. Yeah, no, you, you can. Take it because you can. Show the troops the loyalty. Show them what we do to our enemies. Remind them. So Damon could give a fuck about this castle or Brendan the Blackfish. But he's going to listen to Cersei here. Always. He always listens to her. She's powerful. The women in the show are very powerful. They have no idea what we're going to do to them, she says. They have no idea how strong we are. And We're then, the only two people in the world, which is their favorite thing to say before they make out. And I'll tell you, Cersei, whenever she gets talking about her family's revenge and imagining Jamie Lancer slaying people, she gets real horned up. Yeah, for sure. She gets for real sure. horned up, starts getting real bitey, and it looked like they're about to gorilla fuck each other. Oh, for sure. I really expected a gorilla fuck here. Um, before they bang, though, I just like that Jamie's like, hey, Cersei, but I want to stay for your trial. And she's like... <laughs> My trial is going to be a trial by combat, and I have the mountain. Right. So, goodbye. I like this foreshadowing, because we all know okay. what I think is going to happen. Do you think that Cersei will be executed when she loses no, her trial no, by combat? we're not going to kill Cersei. I don't care what Do anybody in the chat says. Do you think she will lose her trial by combat? Because yes. oh, it's 100%. been a foregone conclusion that Franken Mountain's going to win. Franken Mountain's nope, going to win. Nope, no nope, one can nope, fight nope, him. Nope. I have the Franken Mountain. I have this. I have that. She's wrong. I'm not going to get it, into there's this. There's another Franken Mountain coming. I don't want to get into supposed spoilers because there's some shit going on in the books that's not in the show yet so a lot of people have speculations as to who the crown is going to call as their champion i don't even want to get into that that much but for some reason people assume it's this person because of what they read in the book we'll talk about it after the show we'll talk a little bit about after the show because i want to talk about all right so we'll do a spoiler section this week after the credits about this supposed champion and who it could be we'll just talk to you chat room people about it if you're interested anyway so that is the king's landing piece Incredible, unpredictable. I am forced. I am forced to respect the High Sparrow's moves here. I think he's brilliant in what he's done. Now that I know he wants more than just oh, that he does. He is after something. He is after elevation. There we go. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, where are we going next? Now we're going to go to the twins. Finally, to the twins. Boy, this actor's awesome. Yeah, yes. You lost it. It's a castle, not a sheep. I just think about people like actors who when they look back on their lives, they can say things like, I was in Harry Potter and Game of Thrones. Basically, how much better can your life be? Mm. And that's how I feel about Walter Frey slash Filch from Harry Potter. Boy, he really breaks his son's balls hard and they will not just listen. They're like, but this, but that, but this, we can't get right, but that, but this, but that. And he says, listen, you lost the blackfish, you lost the castle. Go get it back. But father, River Uncle will stand siege for a year. Thank you, will stand siege for a full year. He says. Disgusting. Phrase pissed. They're laughing at us. I can hear it in my sleep. He's this, so good. This line is all you need to know about Walder Frey laughing at us. Mm-hmm. He thought that Rob Stark was thumbing his nose at his tradition. And he went along with the Red Wedding. Yep. It wasn't because of this big power play. I don't no, think. No, it's because he was pissed. He was slighted. This is how you motivate Walder Frey. 
to slight his honor, to make him feel like he is the laughing stock with his a million wives and half of his kids are can't get right. It's it's very true because if you think back to the what, red wedding, Rob was supposed to marry a fray and he didn't. And right. and Catelyn said it would come back to bite him and it did. Yes. Walter Frey does not tolerate that shit. No. He will never yield, father. What are we supposed to do? He will never yield. He's the blackfish. He can hold out siege. And then he slaps that girl's ass, which is hilarious. This is probably one of his uh, 3,000 wives. He slaps that 12-year-old's ass. Hilarious. And then um, Lord, old crafty Walder Frey, lots of, uh, he's, very got, he's got a lot of Tywin in him, this guy. He goes for the old ace up the sleeve. And who does he present but old Edmer Tully? Edmer Tully. The, Happy to see him again, honestly. The betrothed from the Red Wedding. So the betrothed, the husband of his daughter. That's what happened to Edmer Tully. It was so funny when he's like, oh, you know, we've got, we got something. I'm like, oh, my God, we're going to see Edmer Tully again. I was so excited. And sure enough, there he is. I love when, I love when we see characters we haven't seen in a while again. You get to be like, oh, okay, they were somewhere doing something. Uncle to the Stark children, brother to the deceased Catelyn Stark. Mm-hmm. And now. And to Lissa Aaron. And now prisoner of Walter Frey. Looking not so good. Marriage and internment are not working out for him. They're really not. Not looking too good. Not at all. So, anyway, cheer up, Lord Edmer. You're going home, he tells him. Oh, boy. Yeah, I love that. A great line, great end of a scene. Awesome. Walter Frey's a piece of shit, but he's so good. He is good TV, isn't he? He really is. The the worst people are always the best TV, honestly. So good. So, anyway, Walter Frey has got something cooking up. So, my guess is, is, is that... Jamie Lannister is going to take, I would guess, Lannister troops. I'm yeah, guessing he's going to march Lannis, uh, Westerman to attack the Blackfish at the castle with help from whatever the phrase can muster, which is a shitload, according to Walder Frey. And you know who they're going to run into there, right? Bran of Tarth. Bran of Tarth. So she's headed there to go talk to the Blackfish. So is Bran of Tarth going to be fighting with the Blackfish? Absolutely she is. It's just crazy to think that <laughs> Bran is going to meet up with Jamie again, and they're going to be on opposite sides. Oh, the... Fucking tragic goddamn irony. I'm just saying. That's some Shakespearean shit right there. I'm just saying that that's no, what's going right. to happen when she gets there. You're absolutely or right. Or when they get there, Bran is going to be there because she was sent there and we're going to get our, our reunion of, you know, Bran and Jamie. And all you people who secretly want Bran and Jamie to somehow hook up and you don't want Bran to hook up with Torn Giants Bane, you people, I can't even listen to you, honestly. Wow. But this will prove to you it's not going to happen because they're going to be fighting against each other. Mm. What if Jamie kills Bran? So I think Bran might die, honestly. I guess it's possible. So yeah, River Run is on a river. It's got water around it. It's hard to siege. It's a three-sided castle. It's not very large, but it's bordered on the north by the Tumblestone and on the south by the Red Fork. While on the west, a third side faces a massive man-made ditch. In time of danger, the sluice gates can be opened to fill a wide moat and leave the castle surrounded on all three sides by water turning Riveron into an island and leaving it practically unassailable. It commands a view of many leagues. So, it's quite the castle to siege, ladies and gentlemen. So, Jamie's going to be in it for the long haul, unless we see some kind of negotiation take place, but I doubt it. I guess we're going to find out. I'm excited for this convergence at Riverrun, and I'm glad to see the Blackfish. I love their scale armor. That resembles fish scales. It's so badass. So cool looking. If you watch next time on Game of Thrones. Brendan Tully's a badass, if you remember. He was such a cool dude. I told you he was alive, remember? He did. 
was right, but I also said he wasn't there, so I lied about that. Yeah. Sometimes I get things half right. I'm good at this job. Sometimes. I'm not sure what you're talking about. You did say he was there. You said he was there and he went and took a piss. No, I said he was at the red wedding. Yeah, I said he was at the he wedding was. and then he lived. But then I said I thought that Peter Baelish was lying to her, that he had taken over a river run. Oh. So I was right about, you know, some He stuff. did take over a river run, but, but you're saying... But I'm saying I thought that he didn't because I oh, okay. that part. Okay, yeah, he took it I'm, back. I'm half right about things. Yeah, good shit. There so, you go. That's what I'm saying. Sometimes I'm He's right, sometimes I'm not. He's fucking beautiful over here. All right, shall we hop on our boats and cross the narrow sea? Yeah, let's head over to Bravos and see what's going on over there. My favorite part of the episode, just going to throw that right out there and put it down in writing. The only thing that could have made it better is if, if Nymeria the dire wolf walked over and said, hello, I like here it. I am. Because <laughs> we know that cup can never be filled. Never, never fall. <laughs> <laughs> so the line in the rose play continues. Which I love. I wish I could see this whole play, honestly. Arya laughs as Joffrey is poisoned. I love the overacting murder. And uh, I die. They seem to think that Tyrion is the poisoner, at least in Bravos. Of course. Uh, Arya is moved by Lady Crane's performance. But you know what's funny about this? And, and this is something I sort of said while we were watching it. It's interesting that people, and maybe just because it's a dramatic play, and I guess that makes sense, but part of me was wondering, why do people in Bravos give a fuck if Joffrey was murdered? He's not their king. They're in Essos. It's a story. I know. It's a story, right? And I guess they're doing a good job selling it. But uh, and then we have Bizarro Sansa, who's mouthing the lines from the wings. What I'm like, oh my god! Reminds me of when I was in high school and like somebody would audition for a role and not get it, and they'd be the understudy and just practicing those lines every day. It's like you're never unless you kill somebody, right. you're not going to get the role. And so this bitch is like, I'm going to kill somebody, which makes me question the whole guild. You'd think to hire the faceless men would be very expensive. How the fuck does this lady? How many? How many dicks? I knew you were going to say Essos? this. I knew you were going to say this. I hope my dad's not listening to this podcast right now. How many dicks in Essos did this chick suck to get the money to hire the faceless men to assassinate Lady Crane? I mean, she's pretty cute with that red wig on, so. I don't know. She's going to charge high fees. Well, I guess. Maybe Jock and Hagar likes her. Maybe. I don't know. Maybe she just was hired out by the Unsullied to do a little hugging and stuff. Yeah, that's true. Valid point. So uh, Bizarro Sansa freaks me out when she's mouthing the lines. And then, of course... Tyrion then kills Tywin. Arya poisons the rum. Arya's re reaction to the performance is great. I love this here. It, it's it's so interesting to watch Arya watch her life and the things that have happened to her family and the people she knows and that she spent time with unfold in this play and how her reaction differs from everybody else. How she knew Joffrey was dead, but she didn't get to see it and she gets to see it and she gets to laugh about it, you know? Right. Absolutely. Yeah, it's um it's pretty crazy. This this um it's funny to see Arya re react to a story that she's inexorably tied to by way of family blood, by way of identity. And that's what this comes down to, right? Her identity. Right. And this is what has always been the question. Can a girl truly become no one? She really can't. Which is what I I knew she never could, and I'm so happy that Arya can't not be Arya. Because Arya being Arya is something that we've been talking about for seasons. She's different. Yes. She doesn't want to be a lady. She wants to be something other than the way she was born. And that's what she's been doing. So backstage, Arya talks to Lady Crane. 
I wrote down some of this because this was good. All right. Um, she Obviously, says, the other actors are not fond of Lady Crane. Uh, no, because she's too good. She's better than all of them. She's better than them, right. And she thinks, she knows she's better and she has advice and nobody wants to listen to her side of things. Because Correct. they've been doing it longer and they're not as good. Basically. Because they're vapid, shitty they're actors. Typical. <laughs> um, I like... Can I, like I just her, say something real quick? Yes, go ahead. Tiffany Bell in the chat says that she laughed, meaning Aria... Ariel laughed at Joffrey's death, but felt Cersei's pain. Yep. Great observation. Absolutely. Great observation. Um, I, I like the conversation between the two of them and how Lady Crane calls Arya out. She's like, how many times have you seen this play? Did you pay it all? Right. She's like, I was like you when I was a kid. I did the same thing. I think she looks at Arya and she's like, maybe she wants to join our group. I think she sees Arya as she, as she was as a girl. Right. Um, Lady Crane says she hates her final speech. It's bad writing. And Arya says, change it. Mm -hmm. She says, he was taken from her before she could say goodbye. She wouldn't just cry. She would be angry. She would want to kill the person who did this to her. I love this. This is Because this is Arya talking about how she feels about fucking Cersei, basically. Everything. And everybody else on her list. And herself. She is suggesting to rewrite the script as it fits you, which is what she's doing, Right. The script she thought was learn, go to, Bra- go to Bravos, learn from the faceless men, kill all the people she hates. Now she's learning, hold on, this ain't the script I want. I need to change it. And that's what she's doing here. I love this. It, she wouldn't just cry, she'd be angry. But, and this is Arya explaining to, again, Lady Crane, this is how Arya feels about the people who took the people, who took people from her, the people who killed her father. Of course. The people on her death list. Yes. She is angry. She would not just cry. She's angry and she yes, wants to kill that person. 100%. She's talking about herself. 100%. And I love that when Lady Crane asks her if she likes pretending to be other people, Arya says, I have to go. My father is waiting for me. And she goes and she gets Needle. If that right. is not the most symbolic and beautiful thing that you have ever seen in Arya's story, I mean, Arya's story has not been the most entertaining since she's gotten to Bravos. And honestly, I don't know if all the Bravos is worth it for this moment, but man, what a great moment it is. Sure. Yeah, it's great. One other note, I think, about the scene. She says her name is Mercy. Yes, she does. That's for you, Lady Crane, because you were dead tonight if it wasn't for me. And she says her name is Mercy before she makes the decision to save her life. She still comes back. She already probably subconsciously made the decision. I was going to say, she probably did make the decision, but she does walk away, so maybe she was wrestling with it. And then she comes back. Careful of that one. She wants you dead. Boom. That was quite the thing. It was great. It was great. And then, of course, we see the waif, as she's known, floating around, spots Arya, and then runs back. Arya gets her sword. The waif reports to Jockin, and he says, don't let her suffer. Yes. And the girl's, and, and Jockin, a shame. A girl had many gifts, and the waif says, you promised me. Don't mm-hmm. let her suffer. Arya draws needle and blows out a candle. Yeah, she's ready. She's fucking waiting. I, oh my God. I have a feeling that so the excited. confrontation between Waif and Arya is going to be brief. I think Arya's going to kill her quick. Me too. I, my comment talks about that too. I really think that's going to happen. I don't think there's going to be uh, this big choreographed lightsaber fight. I think it's going to be a quick, needly death. I, I, I agree. Can we, can we talk about Arya's story overall just for a minute? Sure, I'd love to. I love Arya. I think what you said about Arya was, was, her, was all this time in Bravos worth it? It almost feels like it was. And this is something that I think George R. R. Martin does and he gets criticized for. A lot of people are like, get on with it, get on with it, get on with it. But when it comes, it's amazing, right? It's like a goal in soccer. You work so fucking hard and that's why they celebrate so fucking hard when they get a goal. It's worked for. It's a lot of work to make that happen. 
And now that she's made the decision, in the beginning, I think most viewers thought she's going to learn how to have the faceless arts and all the stuff. But the more we started to learn about the faceless men and what it means in their philosophy to be a faceless man, to eliminate your identity, I think we started to realize this will never be Arya. Right. And now we've just been watching it the whole time. I also think that Jockin has always known he's wise. Right. He sent her on this mission. He was probably... Pretty certain she'd fail. Pretty certain. Not 100% because he sent her. And he probably thought, I don't know, but I'm going to send her anyway and see what happens. And then she didn't. And uh, now he says, don't let her suffer. He keeps his promise to the waif, which is interesting. Hmm. She's loyal to him. She's the worst. She'll be dead soon. So that's fine. There you go. I guess we're going to find out. What all happens right. if the wave just kills Arya and we're all like, what the fuck? Imagine that shit. Yeah, that'll never happen. Imagine if the if Arya kills the wave and the faceless man's like, well done. You're one of us. That won't happen either. No, I don't want Arya to be a faceless man. No, me neither. I want Arya to be Arya. All right. Let's go talk about this really brief scene with uh, Daenerys. Yeah. So Daenerys does her Cal Drogo speech. Yeah. First, Dario's fucking super annoying because I hate him so much now that I just don't even know what to do. You had a real big glass. A real... You almost had a big gulp for this guy. No. I think it was made... No. Let me finish. I think it was made out of glass. I think one day while you were cheering for dogs in, in Jorah. I think when you were cheering for Jorah and dogs in his piss yellow tunic. Like I do every day. Yes. I think you bumped into it and it broke. And then you went into the cabinet and you could only find a small cup. Is it here, so now he's been degraded to the small cup. That's all I have. Martini glass, perhaps. So for some reason, the dragons always give me the goose flesh. Ooh, do they not give the goose flesh too, honestly? I don't know what it is about the way they're handled in this, but when they fly around and land and screech and they get that badass music, my skin pimples up with the goose flesh. I love it. It's exciting. I just, the power is unreal. We see history repeating itself. We know that Aegon the Conqueror, a ancestor of Daenerys Targaryen, conquered Westeros with dragons and armies, and people just yielded to her when she flew around burning armies. He had three dragons, him and two sisters, well, I believe. Danny also has three dragons. So I know. That's good news. So again, we see these histories repeating themselves, things going on. Uh, conquered everything except Dorne, mind you. But awesome that... We're she, seeing things come back around it, again. But it's the same thing. The speech she gives is very similar to the speech Khal Drogo gave. Right. It is. And I think it's important to talk about the wheel that she's insisting she's breaking. Is she? Or is she just spinning back around again to when the Targaryens were on top? Is she truly going to break the wheel this time? What is she going to do? I think I think Dario brings up a good point. What are you going to do? You're going to rule? You're going to rule your conqueror. Shut up, Dario. What, but honestly, honestly, what is she going to do when she takes over Westeros? Sit on the throne? Kill Dario? I don't know. Or burn the throne? What is her plan? I don't know. I don't know what her plan is. Probably she's going to ask Tyrion for advice. Honestly, that's probably what she's going to do. And she also will have Jon Snow helping her, or maybe she'll marry Jon Snow, or I don't know. But I feel like he'll be involved in some way. I think it's time that we talk a little bit about Danny and talk about... Is this Targaryen blood that runs in her veins starting to rear its head? I think it's been that way for a while. I think we've I discussed know. it before on the show. I know. And is she really want to conquer all these people? Does she really want to lay waste to Westeros and murder shitloads of people because she feels it's, quote, her right by birth? I mean, that's quite the sense of entitlement, no? She believes right. that because of the way her family was ousted from power, that she has a claim on the throne she doesn't want to just be a simple person. She does, she, she's beyond that. 
She's committed to this course of action, and now people follow her, and she's in all the way. But does she have any right to Westeros any more than anyone else? Hey, hey, Danny, your father was murdering people. He was not following the advice of his hand. He was causing the fucking crown to go to ruin. He was fucking up, and he went. He got got, as people do. And now what? Are you avenging Ares? What are you doing exactly? She is what wants I'm starting. What is hers, Dean? God, I know. I take what's mine. I know, but it's pretty crazy to think about. Well, I want her to take those things. Yeah, I wonder if she'll be turned against the Night's army. If that's the Night King's army, I wonder if that's going to be the true threat, and she's going to save Westeros. Probably, but it, but make no mistake, her intent is not to fly over there and destroy the Night's King. She doesn't even know about that. Oh no, her, her intent, intent is, is to take to what's hers. To fly over there own. and make the people of Westeros bow to her. All of them. 100%. All the ones you guys love. Dorne, River Run, right? The East, the West, the North, Jon Snow. All of them. Bow to her, bitch. Because she says so. Well, that doesn't always work out in the end, but I guess we're going to find out. Fascinating. Thus concludes this week's episode of Game of Thrones. Oh, Danny. We have no Deadpool update, which we traditionally do after the listener comments anyway. Nobody died this week, everybody, so... Wipe that sweat off your brow and be happy that all your favorites have lived another day. Boom. All right. Let's cue up the music. Who do you got? I have a comment from Nathan Tamulus who talks about my favorite storyline of this episode. Quick question. Do you have one comment or two? I only have one. Okay. I have two. Oh, well, that's rude. If you say so. But okay. I did kind of read John Marginson stuff earlier, so maybe that counts. Anyways, Nate says, I've begun to believe that the purpose of Arya's journey was not to become a super assassin, but rather to not become one. Agreed. She had the chance to reach out and become a queen of murder, to lose herself in the quest for revenge, to become someone not unlike the current occupants of her list. I love this in theory, as she's actually learning about who she isn't, a variation on the typical hero's journey that should be compelling. Problem is that it sort of isn't. I never thought Arya would actually give in to the faceless men and become no one. For all the hate in her, she's still Arya. And this is me interjecting. I agree. There was never a point where I thought Arya was going to become a faceless man of Bravo. So that's why a lot of this felt useless to me. I didn't write up. I, I did up until oh, I, I learned. Never. never. You n- always knew. I never thought she was going to stick with them. No, I never did. Go I listen think, to the old podcast. Honestly, that's your Uncle Mike. He knows. Honestly, I think most people thought she was going to learn assassination ways and come back. But I think most people bailed on that idea when they realized Arya had to eject her personality. I think if we're being honest here. But anyway, continue. After all, every faceless faceless man has the same first victim, themselves. They become no one, an instrument of death, not justice. I never believed that was to be Arya's fate, so her self-discovery is seemingly boring. We knew it all along, and so I think to jock in. So I have no idea what happens next. I actually think the real target of this training was the waif. She's not a typical faceless man and seems to have a cruel streak. She might be the one given one last chance. Jockin says don't let Arya suffer, but the waif won't listen, and it will be her undoing. Arya will stab mm. that bitch good <laughs> and offer mercifully. Jockin shows up and says she earned a reprieve by giving one of them the gift, a life for a life, something like that. Indeed. And then he also briefly mentions about Sam. On to Sam. I think he's headed back to the wall. That's why he grabbed Heartsbane. No Citadel. He was goaded by his father's bullshit and is taking action. Powerful Nathan Tamulus. Love that. Powerful. I like that a lot too. Yeah. Good comment. And I. Yeah. What's he going to do? Go to Old Town with his father's sword and get arrested? Absolutely, he's got to go back north. Exactly. All right, so, if you thought Sam was going to be a maester, sorry, guys. 
Good shit by Nate. All right, I got a couple. I'm going to start with Karen Lomas. So she says, I've never been more excited to see Ari go for Needle. Finally, the girl does have a name, and that storyline is over. I like that Sam's mom had some spunk. She didn't defend her son, but she let her husband know she was upset, and that took a lot. Absolutely. The guy's a terror. I bet she's had nights where she looked up at that sword and thought about taking care of him Bobbit style. Yes, learn to Bobbit. What a great reference. Yay, women, chop off dicks. Love Karen Lomas. Wow. Love Lorena Bobbitt. <laughs> oh, you fucks. If I said I love it. She tossed it out of a window. Oh, Lorena right. Bobbitt. It's so good. Google yeah. it if you don't know. If you don't know, there's something wrong with you, honestly. Wow. It's a Any other 90s things you guys want to talk about? Fucking, you want to talk about Nirvana she next? She threw his penis out of a window. Okay. Of a car while she was All driving. Right. All right. Tommen is so easily swayed, but that's what happens when you make a horny teenager king. Marjorie's playing him like a fiddle. Danny's one of my favorites, and seeing her ride Drogon giving the speech was awesome. Too bad the calls weren't burnt to a crisp. <laughs> they were going to let their horses have her when they were done with her. She could have given them to Drogon and let him have a turn. Ooh, Yikes. Damn. Karen, Getting that so dragon violent. dick. Imagine if she just torched them all. That would have been so kind of dope, actually. It was awkward. Just torched them all. All right. I have one more comment from Tony Piccolo. A masked, mysterious man is almost always someone we know. Knew that was Benjen the moment he arrived. Ship backfired against Jamie and the Tyrell army. Three of my five Deadpool members were on those steps. Tommen, Lancel, and the High Sparrow. And I was praying for a dragon just sort of to land and wipe them all out. While it was an underwhelming episode, it was good. It was a good one to lay the groundwork for the end of the season. I think what I took away most from this episode was Bran's visions of the Mad King's wildfire which I suspect will play a big role in the battle against the White Walkers. Ooh, great points. I like that. Indeed. Good shit, Mr. Piccolo. He can he closes by saying, on that note, Samuel Tarly is also armed with Valyrian steel. Sam the Slayer rides again. Which must mean Sam he's assuming he's going north again. Yeah, he is. Absolutely. I like Tony good Piccolo. He call. always has good um insight and also his pictures he's always dressed like a stormtrooper right that's Tony Pickle yep that's him <laughs> alright good shit great episode great comments love it good stuff we are out of here ladies and gentlemen thanks for checking out lsg media's coverage of a game of thrones make sure you check us out on the web at libertystreetgeek.net that's libertystreetgeek.net where you can see other shows we have like the walking dead and the science fiction film podcast all right folks we will catch you next week have a good one